Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Get Me Started podcast. My name is Thea, and I'm the host of the show. Before we begin today, I'd first like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, who are the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any Indigenous persons listening today. Sovereignty was never ceded and this land was, is and always will be traditional Aboriginal land. I'd encourage all of my listeners to do some research and understand more about whose land they live, work and socialise on, as it's important to recognise those who have come before us and who take care of the land to this day. This is very in line, I guess, with today's episode, which is emotional environmentalism. And I have the lovely Adele here with me to talk us through it. Hi, everyone. (laughs) It's so nice to be here. Um, Adele is a wonderful, wonderful friend of mine. Um, We met a couple of years ago through some mutual friends Mm -hmm. and we've become very close ever since. She's very passionate about the environment in her own personal life. Um, she volunteers for an environmental organization. She writes a lot of sustainable sustainability centered content, um, for universal magazine, and she's engaging in a master's in publishing and communications, yep, that's correct. um, with the idea that, um, going to center her professional life within the environmental space. Um, but through written communication is her preferred mm-hmm. mechanism. Yeah. Spot on. (laughs) But most of all as well, Adele is a truly lovely person. She's very kind, very considerate, and she carries that through in everything that she does, not just with her friends, but in the way that she approaches the world and everyone she interacts Mm. with. So I feel like this topic is very fitting and it really emulates a lot of the positive attributes that Adele has in like so many different aspects yeah <laughs> it's sweet <laughs> so yeah today's episode is emotional environmentalism and we're going to be ch- chatting about how our emotional connection to the environment impacts our ability to act in a sustainable and environmentally friendly way so Adele what is it about this topic that gets you started mm-hmm. thank you Thea for the lovely introduction um I think that I've always had um, an affiliation towards nature. Um, I've always found peacefulness and solace when I'm in natural environments. Um, And I think through that, I've sort of developed um, the drive to protect what we have, um, to preserve what we have, to regenerate what we have um, for the... um, people coming onto the planet afterwards and for ourselves. Yeah, to keep that environment Mm -hmm. going so we can continue to revisit it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, And how do you feel that, like, that's impacted the way you, yeah, approach this topic and, like, your sort of headspace around the way you view the environment? Yeah, so I think one vivid moment that comes to my head when you ask me that is um, a time when I was at the Heidi Museum of Modern Art and I was with my friend Nashika who you know um, and I remember seeing the grounds are comprised of lots of different gardens and they have three different buildings which are quite modern and I remember seeing one building that had 
Um, it was fully made of cement, but it had this big hole in this sort of overhanging roof. And that hole was purely for the purpose of letting this tree go through, grow through. And um, when I saw that, something in me just sort of ignited. And I was like, wow, um, this just demonstrates um, a potential harmonious relationship that we can have with the environment where we can continue growing as a society, but we can take into consideration the environment's needs and um, sort of nurture that rather than depleting it um, from what I see going on all across the world right now. Yeah, Yeah. and the idea of, like, adjusting the built structure for the nature rather than adjusting nature for the built structure. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I guess, yeah, environmentalism obviously is, like, a very – on-trend topic Mm. even though you know I hope it's not a trend I hope it's actually people paying attention to the issues they're going on but what do you think differentiates the sort of way that you are thinking about the environment and talking about it in Mm -hmm. this sort of emotional sense Mm -hmm. and maybe how we do hear it spoken about more often Mm -hmm. um I suppose obviously there's a very scientific view of environmentalism to do with global warming and CO2 emissions, um, which is, I suppose, initially what captured my attention um, as to what was going wrong with how humanity was treating the earth. Um, But I think my main emotional connection would be associated with the solace I found in the environment, especially during trying times. For example, very recently during COVID, I always was able to really relax and unwind in nature. It almost just gave me literally a breath of fresh air. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think the anticipation of the loss of this beauty and the loss of this place where I can just be peaceful... Yeah, it makes me feel... It makes me feel sad and, uh, I suppose, a bit panicked. Um, And I suppose like call to action kind of thing yeah yeah it makes me um it encourages me to do things that empower nature rather than take away from it yeah and I think that focus on like your immediate like environment is a little bit different as well Mm -hmm. because I know even for myself like yes obviously we're encouraged to recycle or buy sustainably mm-hmm. or, you know, there's all the co- common, I guess, mm-hmm. like um, individual actions that can mm-hmm. be taken. But I think often those conversations are still very big picture mm-hmm. and very like, you know, oh, you need to think about where your rubbish ends up. Mm-hmm. And obviously those chains of thought are really important, but maybe for a lot of people bringing it right back to, okay, you have a local park and you really like that local park mm-hmm. and you want to go to that local park mm-hmm. because it's helpful and it's yeah. comforting and it's part of your routine. Mm-hmm. How can you better that local park and that local environment mm-hmm. and in a way yeah. that like in, helps you like build the base methods mm-hmm. for being more sustainable yeah. long-term? Yeah, 100%. I feel like um, the feeling that I get out of a day spent in nature or even um, an hour or even less time, um, say whether it is at my local park, whether I've gone to, um, some rainforest. I recently went to Warburton and it's, um, got beautiful rainforest there or even, um, the Murray river. I went there during new year's time and the feeling of fulfillment and sort of rejuvenation that I feel after spending that time in nature is what really drives, um, drives me to try and act in a more sustainable way um 
Yeah, and you've really, like, developed that as well beyond just, like, the day-to-day. Like, mm-hmm. you volunteer mm-hmm. with an environmental organisation mm-hmm. now and you yeah. also write for a mm-hmm. magazine. So yeah. do you want to talk about that and how that sort of influenced you yeah, as well? Yeah, sure. So I realised uh, I had started working um, soon after or I think I was still at uni and I had started working in a few organisations to do with my commerce degree and was feeling very unfulfilled and I was just sort of... Um, working because I thought it was the next step Um, and then I thought that if I'm putting this effort in and it's um, sort of draining my energy I want it to be directed towards something that I care about and the thing that kept coming to me that I do care about is um, the environment so I had trouble finding paid work and then I thought what about volunteer organisations? And I volunteer at an environmental startup called Reducing Our Footprint, and that has been such a rewarding experience. Um, firstly, because the mission and the vision of the organisation is to help busy people in their everyday lives to um, learn about the environment and sort of implement practical solutions to help them live a more sustainable life. But the thing I think I've gained most from that experience is being surrounded by people from different countries who are all different ages. I think I'm the only one who's from Australia in the group, um, but they're all so passionate about the environment and you can just see their desire to make change um, is it's very motivating and it's really, um, it's just great to see and it makes me feel more motivated about um, doing what I can to help. And I just love that because it's something, initially I just thought, oh, um, I'm just going to do this by myself and it's just a solo journey. But then you sort of have found this, I've found this tribe of people that are on the similar journey to me and it just makes it so much more enjoyable and hopeful in a way. And it's like it's another level of emotional connection, right? Because mm-hmm. you're developing like friendships with these people and you care about them yeah. mm-hmm. and, you know, by caring about one another, being more empathetic, mm-hmm. like it does incline you to then want to care about your environment mm-hmm. more because it is for everyone. Exactly, exactly. I think um, I had mentioned to you earlier today that um, environmentalism as a whole encompasses so many different things Um, and I can personally without trying very hard connect it to so many different aspects of life whether it be um, fashion the fashion industry like slow and ethical fashion whether it be politics um, such as advocating for climate policies whether it be waste management pollution and I feel like talking about pollution it makes me think that it's not really like a on-trend topic it's more of a quality of life topic because by not advocating or championing for our planet we're affecting our quality of life in every way possible yeah for sure and you said that um the group that you work with is like focused around helping busy people Mm -hmm. like create positive practices Mm -hmm. in their lifestyle like is there something that you feel has been particularly effective that they've been able to do or like a campaign that like is is a little bit different from Mm -hmm. things you've seen before um I think they really simplify how you can become more sustainable and they explain why certain practices that you are doing are not sustainable so I think sometimes um 
I get a bit lost with some instructions, say, about recycling because they say, if you don't recycle correctly, that's bad, but I don't necessarily have an explanation as to why. But I feel like this organisation um, kind of delves a bit deeper and they say, this is what happens when you don't recycle and they give you a reason as to why what you might be doing has a negative impact on the environment. And I thought that's what I found personally helpful because I wanted to help and I am a person who likes knowing the reason behind why what I'm doing is good or mm. what I'm doing is bad. Yeah. Um, so I think in that respect, it is a little bit different. Um, and I think the community, the community sense that they bring to the organisation where it's sort of like we can all do it, it is possible, you do have an impact even if you're just one single individual person, um, that is also really good because, yeah, the climate crisis and environmentalism is... Um, it's just an immense issue and you can look at it from such a broad perspective and feel paralysed by how am I ever going to make an impact. But um, reducing our footprint sort of picks very specific topics and they break it down into very small digestible sort of um, parts. Yeah. yeah, And they, yeah, they allow you to understand the topic as a whole and then they allow you to see why what you're doing will make a difference yeah it's a lot of baby steps isn't it exactly yeah and I think um that's the only way to tackle it because with any issue in life if you look at anything and you're looking at it from a broad perspective obviously you're gonna kind of be terrified to try and work at it but when you break it down into small easy to do steps it just becomes so much more manageable and I think that's what we can apply to being more sustainable. Yeah, I think it's definitely one of those topics where people kind of feel all or nothing. Mm. Like, you know, and I think we've heard this conversation before mm. in the sense, like we all get that there's a lot of information and it's overwhelming and mm -hmm. we can all do better, but it's kind of, we have heard it before mm. and it's easy to tune out a message that you mm. can repeat mm -hmm. even if you don't like mm -hmm. believe in it. But mm -hmm. yeah, finding those finding those small elements mm. of change and focusing them around things that maybe directly benefit yourself yeah. can probably be a really positive thing because yeah. even though ultimately that might seem somewhat selfish to centre mm. it around your own experience, mm. if it creates the change, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then exactly. that's the... It's positive, it's yeah. beneficial, definitely, yeah. yeah. That's the outcome that mm. you need. Um, and so what about the magazine that you've been writing for? Because mm -hmm. you've been doing articles for them and you're going to be the editor of an yeah. edition as well? <laughs> yeah. So this magazine is a youth-run magazine, so it's not entirely to do with environmentalism or sustainability, but um, I enjoy writing articles. Yeah, I've managed to find a way to... Um, to steer all my articles into the direction of sustainability. <laughs> um, so I've written an article about cultural sustainability um, in the previous edition and that sort of involved how my parents' upbringing um, without sort of unknowingly they were, um, they were acting in a way that was sustainable. So, for example, um, mum would save glass jars and use them to store rice and to store um, nuts. And now that's sort of like an Instagram trendy um, sort of thing that people do. Yeah, so in doing so, in retrospect, um, 
those types of things I've just grown up doing, but now they seem to be such beneficial things to do and it's, um, it does help the planet. And yeah, I've just sort of grown up with those values, which I'm very grateful for because I suppose some people have grown up very differently and they um, need to learn all of these things. Whereas um, mum and dad sort of taught me that by reusing everything, or not everything, but repurposing things, um, you're just lengthening the life of them. And that's definitely a positive thing when it comes to um, preserving the preserving our planet. Yeah, I like that idea as well, like of cultural, like the cultural changes and shifts that happen, which would affect how each individual can relate mm-hmm. to environmentalism and sustainability. Mm-hmm. I think this comes up a lot when you talk about like reducing people's meat intake mm-hmm. or animal product intake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously like family is a really big, mm-hmm. not issue, but like big influence on people's ability or desire to eat less mm-hmm. meat or animal products. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you often hear with like, you know, a lot of European families where meat is such like an integral part yeah. of their cultural yeah. like connection yeah. that, you know, their nonna and their <laughs> mum would never let them yeah, not eat meat because exactly. that would be, you know, mm. oh, how could you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those things add real value to the conversation because mm-hmm. it kind of goes in the other way, right? Like if you're very emotionally connected to traditions and, mm. you know, ways of eating which involve animal products mm-hmm. and meat, then mm-hmm. that's not your step. Yeah. You know, that's not the thing yeah. that you're necessarily yeah. going to do if yeah. it's not right for you mm-hmm. to change and become, you know, more environmentally conscious. Mm-hmm. But you might be more capable of, yeah, using, like, high content of recyclable products or mm-hmm. not driving your car as much mm-hmm. compared to the vegan who has to commute mm-hmm. for an hour every day mm-hmm. in their car. Like, yeah. you know, and it's those, yeah. like, give and take that has yeah. to come about. Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act and no one can do it all. Um, but I think by picking and choosing things that you're specifically passionate about, um, speaking about veganism, that was probably the first thing, um, in my journey towards sustainability because I watched a documentary called Before the Flood, um, which I think Leonardo DiCaprio is, uh, the main producer. Yeah. 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 He, he's, a UN peace advocate ambassador yeah yeah. and he um sort of goes around the country in america um demonstrating the environmental impact of different industries and i remember after watching that i learned that um cows produce 23 percent more emissions than carbon and yeah i just realized how immense the impact of the agriculture industry was on the environment and that's actually what led me to become vegan because I was I felt really helpless after watching that documentary and I was like, how can I not do anything about this? And then I thought, hold on, maybe I can try doing this. And I've tried it and it's worked for me. Um, so that sort of helps me in thinking that, yeah, I'm doing what I can do. Um, whereas other people might, they might not be able to go vegan perhaps because of their culture, perhaps because of their health and what they need in their body but um maybe they would direct their efforts towards sustainable fashion and they'll be able to purchase things that are eco-friendly yeah it's i guess it's the point isn't it that like it doesn't you don't have to be like a full-blown environmentalist Mm. you just need to pick something and i think if everyone picked one aspect Mm. of their life Mm. where they were very committed Mm -hmm. to it yeah 
we would see a real change. Yeah. You know, and that's, yeah, you can't really argue with that positive benefit. No, definitely not. And I feel like what, what do you have to lose by doing these things? If it's, um, it might make you happier and, um, yeah, it has a positive impact on the world around you. So why not? (laughs) Yeah. When we were talking about this episode and this topic, sorry, earlier, you spoke a little bit about like kind of like the collective mindset around like the environment and like how we as a society are like separating ourselves mm-hmm. out from that. And mm-hmm. you talked a little bit about an example with the dictionary mm-hmm. and I wanted you to relay oh, yeah. that again because <laughs> I think that that's mm-hmm. just such a telling sign of what is going on mm-hmm. in our world. Yeah. So I think definitely one thing that makes me deeply sad is this disconnection that, um, we're experiencing from nature in various aspects of our life and it was really made apparent to me when I read this article a few years ago about the Oxford Junior Dictionary and apparently in 2007 and 2012 the editions that they published they removed certain words in this children's dictionary and replaced them with other words so examples of the words that they removed included moss, acorn, buttercup, Um, yeah, so words that are are natural elements, I suppose, and they replaced them with words such as broadband, chat room, cut and paste, which are all um, involved in, like, the digital realm of technology. Um, And when I read that, I felt... I just felt sad because I was thinking... um, For example, if you Google a buttercup, it's such a happy, beautiful-looking flower and little children are not even being exposed to these kinds of words nowadays, but instead they're being exposed to words such as broadband, which, I don't know, I suppose broadband is incredibly um, helpful in our everyday lives, but the the wonderment and the... um, I don't know, the magic that you find in those types of natural elements. It's just sad that it's just being removed from a child's upbringing. Um, And yeah, I really do think that this disconnect from nature also removes our urgency to act on the climate crisis because obviously if you don't, I suppose it's similar to a personal relationship. If you you feel disconnected from a person, then you're not going to be enticed to effort into that relationship so our relationship with the earth is suffering because we're slowly moving away from these natural environments and habitats yeah that disconnection issue is really interesting too with children because obviously technology is super important like we have to you know accept the fact that Mm. it's an integral part of our life obviously you know children need to be taught how to use it how to Mm -hmm. use it safely Mm -hmm. how to navigate Mm -hmm. you know that skill set because to not teach a child in this day and age about how to use a computer would Mm. be just a direct disadvantage to them and their future but when it comes to something like the dictionary i think you're right in the fact that technology is omnipresent like we can't escape it Mm -hmm. and everyone knows what a computer is and what an ipad is but does every child know what a buttercup looks like yeah Yeah, exactly like you know and that makes me sad because Mm -hmm. we're constantly talking about the fact that people need to be encouraged to engage more with nature Mm -hmm. and children Mm -hmm. need to be pushed to go out and Mm -hmm. play more but Mm -hmm. i can imagine that if a you know 
six-year-old kid Mm -hmm. read acorn Mm -hmm. and they live somewhere where acorns grew Mm -hmm. they might ask their mum or dad what's an acorn like i want to see an acorn Mm -hmm. and then that's an afternoon walk and that's a family going and trying to find an acorn or a buttercup or some Mm -hmm. moss Mm -hmm. whereas if they say oh what's broadband (laughs) just take them over to the router in the corner that they look at every day anyway and it's right there you know yeah exactly yeah it doesn't feel like the space in which to push Mm. the technological message more like it doesn't feel like the Mm. right area Mm. yeah i feel like that reminds me of um a philosopher called alan watts i don't know if you know him but he writes about um in specific relation to nature eastern and western cultures and how western cultures have over the course of time disconnected themselves from nature whereas deep in eastern philosophy eastern cultural philosophy um they still have this innate connection to nature and an example of that that i can think of is i'm not sure if you've watched the movie seven years in tibet no i haven't so that's a movie about this austrian prisoner of war who gets stuck in tibet for seven years (laughs) (laughs) and um And there's this scene that I remember sort of laughing at, but then it really just filled my heart. Um, So he's stuck in Tibet and they're trying to build this building. Um, So they're digging up the ground and it's just this Austrian man with um, surrounded by many Buddhist monks and they're digging up the ground. And then all of a sudden, all of the monks um, are sort of begging him to stop. And they look in the soil and there are all of these worms in the soil And they say, please stop, we can't dig here, we can't build this here, Um, we're we're hurting the worms, essentially, is what they were saying. Um, So then they go through this ceremony of getting all the soil up, picking out the worms, moving them to a different spot, watering the soil, and then going back to that previous spot and building the house. And I just feel like that, it was just so wholesome. And I just thought, why can't we all respond to nature in that way and living things? Um, yeah, it just, it, yeah, it really demonstrated to me just because this was like a Caucasian man in the midst of all these other people and that um, sort of disconnect between the two cultures and the two philosophies and um yeah that just demonstrated it to me really clearly and I kind of I see that definitely yeah Yeah. it's a good analogy I guess for maybe how we need to go about it it's like take care of the worm Mm. and like it will help take care of the soil and that takes care of the plant and the tree and the bird and the you know it's yeah you can take care of the worm and really actually be doing something yeah yeah it's very circular and by um hurting one aspect of this circle <laughs> mm-hmm. um i suppose it has an impact on everything else around us even if we don't immediately see it and i think the thing that we're seeing now with a lot of language around climate change and stuff like that is that we're recognizing the impact it then has on us emotionally mm-hmm. with the fact that like you know you and i are sitting here talking about how you know these things that we've seen or noticed has made us sad mm-hmm. in the way that the environment is treating the disconnect mm-hmm. and everything and as the environment as the condition with the environment and climate change has worsened, we now have terms like climate anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of like discussion about how young teenagers are really suffering from Mm -hmm. like heightened rates of depression Mm -hmm. and anxiety centered Mm -hmm. around environmental Mm -hmm. issues and their perception of like the future of the world. And that is so cyclical Mm -hmm. because, you know, when you know that you have a problem in your life, 
you know, even if it's like a phone call that you have to mm. make and you mm. go and make the phone call and you just keep <laughs> thinking about the phone yeah. call and then for three weeks all you've done is stress and worry and you start mm. to feel it in mm. you whenever you look at your phone because then it's yeah. this guilt and this resentment towards the action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you finally make the phone call yeah. and it doesn't mean that you never have to make another phone call again, yeah. but also all of those feelings are suddenly alleviated. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it kind of shows in the way mm. that we as a collective community feel mm-hmm. because as people begin to learn more mm-hmm. and have more access to resources where they should know better, mm-hmm. they the lack of action that is then being taken has a negative emotional mm-hmm. impact mm-hmm. because there's now a layer of guilt mm-hmm. on top of mm-hmm. fear, on top yeah. of anxiety, yeah. because people feel like they should be doing better mm-hmm. and they're not, or yeah. they they don't feel like they're doing better enough. Yeah. And it's creating like these levels mm-hmm. of emotional like stress and strain that really yeah. like it wears on you and it yeah. affects you as an yeah. individual person. Yeah, definitely. It can definitely feel very heavy. Um, there is a book which the name now escapes me, <laughs> but um, they do speak about how um, there's a trend in um, when people decide to become environmentalists or even not necessarily the label, but when they decide to um, put effort into um, conserving the environment, it's often due to the anxieties of loss of nature, um, which is quite interesting because I suppose... Yeah, it just that that cyclical sort of um, dynamic that you just described um, is what's encouraging people to protect the planet, yet we're still stuck in these motions of doing things that are detrimental to the planet. Um, yeah, and I definitely feel that in myself sometimes if I am walking through an area that I find particularly beautiful, this sort of doom dawns on me and I think, oh no, like... Um, the governments aren't doing enough and the laws aren't doing enough to protect all of this and it's going to be gone soon. And, um, yeah, that sort of feeling I really hate, but um, it definitely is something that I experience. And I think the terms such as eco-anxiety and climate anxiety um, probably incorporate that sort of feeling. Um, Yeah, but it's... Yeah, it's those it's those layers of like, I think reflecting on how much it can impact us as well is important because, you know, you can't escape the fact that you engage with the environment. Like, mm-hmm. you, everyone lives on Earth. We're all here. Mm-hmm. We all breathe air. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're you're in mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not, kind exactly. of thing. And I feel like it's too simple to say, oh, I don't know about this anymore. I don't realize or I don't mm-hmm. believe in it because. Mm-hmm you know that you have to keep your room tidy Mm. even though it might get dirty again Mm -hmm. you know you need to take care of your like built environment Mm -hmm. to sustain like a good Mm -hmm. mental health space and so even if you don't believe in climate change which is Mm -hmm. ridiculous but even people who who say that they don't believe in climate change Mm -hmm. i don't feel that it's true that those people can't understand Mm. that caring for your environment Mm. and the space you occupy Mm. isn't important you know like on that basic Mm. level of like okay sure you don't believe in climate change okay yeah okay but pair it back you know do you believe that your garden should be Mm -hmm. you know a nice place to be do you believe that your streets should Mm. be clean like yeah those things are environmental yeah yeah i love that you made that connection it makes me think about um the indigenous australians and their connection to the land 
Um, and there's actually this movie that I watched quite recently called Satellite Boy. And it's about um, an Indigenous Australian and his journey um, in the Australian desert. And there's a few scenes that really depict that. And it's sort of um, the sentiment is of leave no trace on your home. And for example, the boy will be drawing in the sand with stick and then the elder will say, um, okay, if you want to draw in the sand, draw, but when you're done, it's disrespectful to leave it like that, so rub it out. Um, so I think perhaps we haven't grasped the idea of, oh, we, we embody the idea that humans are superior and wherever we go, we must leave our mark, even on, like, the moon. <laughs> so um, I feel like that, that element of superiority is definitely a downfall um, because how, how are we superior to some of these, like, these natural phenomena that happen, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly? I feel like that sounds really cheesy, but it's just something that happens. And I know that we do it by having ch children and babies, but there's so many... Um, wonderful sort of examples in nature of things that happen that almost seem magical and how are we superior to that yeah <laughs> and like we can embrace the uniqueness of the human mm. existence mm. and mm. the fact that we are like you know humans are whack when you actually think about it <laughs> it's really weird <laughs> you know what i mean like if you, if you want to go on a little existential like deep hole it's wow when yeah. you actually start thinking about humans as comparative to other kinds mm. of animals it's mm. very odd but you know that's more like an appreciation like appreciate mm. the uniqueness of the human yeah. lived experience and the mm. way we get to engage with the world in such a privileged sense because mm. we have this like supposed ability to be superior but it yeah. is very i think you're very very right it's mm -hmm. very in our heads mm. it's not true yeah. we just believe ourselves to yeah. be it rather yeah. than actually like being truly mm -hmm. superior because it's yeah the real the individuals who actually have the most superiority around nature and things mm -hmm. like that are those who live alongside it so harmoniously yeah. and like you see that in the way that you know um being able to engage with like wild animals and engage mm -hmm. with like natural mm -hmm. plants and know what to yeah. eat if you you know are in a new environment and being able to tell how to like move through a space and move in a particular direction by looking at the stars and things yeah. like that like those things yeah. those skills those mm -hmm. abilities mm -hmm. to engage with nature are the truly impressive ones yeah, yeah. um because you learn it you know it yeah. and like having that knowledge is yeah. so powerful yeah yeah definitely i think um, through evolution, humans have usually existed one with nature, and over time, um, that that dynamic has definitely changed. And um, in some elements, I suppose humanity has progressed in an amazing way, and that's great. But um, I don't think that's necessarily how it's meant to be. I think there's meant to be more of a balance and more of a harmony between us and nature. And, um, yeah, just really by reconnecting with nature, I don't think people fully grasp that concept. Um, but I think that's really what's helped me. And it definitely makes me feel grounded. Like, I might have a super stressful day at work or I'm um, just personal life and then I'll go 
sit in the sun for half an hour and just feel completely at ease and if my as if my problems are not gone but they're much more manageable and I don't I feel like there's not many things that have the power to bring us back down to reality I suppose um yeah I think you said before that you know there are things in nature that fill you with wonderment Mm. (laughs) and you saying in that way I think that emotion like Mm. wonderment like when Mm. you we all know we've all had it everyone's had it at least Mm. once I'm sure I hope I hope everyone (laughs) has experienced this but yeah when you have a moment in nature or just looking at something from the natural world that just makes you go wow like wow Mm. and I think that feeling is one of the best feelings Mm. truly because it's so purely derived from something that just exists Mm, for the sake of existing and for being a part of the natural world like it's just doing its thing (laughs) like whatever it is you know whether it's an amazing ocean view or a sunset or Mm. the stars or an animal even a houseplant that you get to watch each day unfurl and grow new leaves and it's just like how is it doing that you know I think cherishing that Mm. feeling Mm. and like really like talking even talking about it makes me like Mm. warm to think about all those beautiful things that I've seen and experienced and yeah it makes you want to take care of it because Mm. it's like I want to keep having that feeling I want to keep seeing those things yeah I feel like there's definitely a reason why when it's someone's birthday or people are sick that you give them flowers or you give them I know at our age now in our 20s house plants are all the rage um and there's a reason for that like we want to make our um built environments feel more natural and by bringing all these elements into our homes and our spaces we're able to do that and um there is this uh I suppose hypothesis called biophilia which I mentioned to you earlier today and um that speaks to the innate affinity that humans have um to nature and in architecture there's actually a big move towards biophilic design right now and um, that involves bringing green greenery into your indoor spaces and it even includes things such as why we think a beautiful raw wooden chopping board is so lovely and why um, certain patterns are so appealing to us because um, a lot of these things, um, like concentric circles, for example, look like a chrysanthemum flower and that's something that's present in nature and the the consolation we feel from being around those types of elements um, just speaks volumes to the connection that we do have with it and that when we are allowed to reconnect with it it is impactful yeah that's really nice and I think it's a great like mindset to have that there is an innate connection like an undeniable Mm -hmm. innate connection because then it becomes not a like do we have this it's how do we interact with Mm -hmm. this because it's not Mm -hmm. it's non-negotiable yeah and I think um there are so many positive elements to it and our connection with nature also includes the more negative elements like why we might be scared if we see a snake on the ground because the cavemen 
were existing in a world where they were so connected with nature that they knew, oh, something that looks like this is probably bad for us, so we're going to run away. And even that demonstrates a connection to nature in itself, as well as that trypophobia, (laughs) the fear of small holes. Um, I was reading about it because I thought it was an interesting one. And um, apparently it has developed in humans now because clusters of small holes are associated with poisonous objects or living things um so people who have that now it's actually due to this connection with nature so it's really just in our in our body and in our souls sort of um so it's really undeniable I suppose yeah I think that's and I think those things as well they're just that's an interesting way as well to learn more about the environment and about the way we think about it but by, you know, yeah, going and reading about phobias or things like that and trying to understand, okay, well, where, these, where does this come from then? Because that makes a lot more sense, right? Like someone being mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm scared of tiny holes is kind of just like, that's really <laughs> random. Yep. <laughs> um, I don't know what was done to you, but yep. sure. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, yeah, when it's like that connection to something that has evolved through like a survival mechanism, mm-hmm. it makes a lot more sense. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 100%. Like it's like being scared of heights kind of makes mm-hmm. sense because like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be mm-hmm. that far the ground mm-hmm. you tiny human <laughs> exactly yeah yeah mm-hmm. um you spoke earlier as well about something which for me triggered an idea of like optimistic and pessimistic actions which can be taken to help the environment in the sense mm-hmm. of like you know are we trying are we believing that everything's going to be okay and we're trying to sustain that mm-hmm. or do we truly believe that the worst is coming and mm-hmm. so what are we going to do after the worst has mm-hmm. come mm-hmm. and you were talking about the seed bank and I sort of wanted to oh, pick yeah. your brain about that and yeah. like understand more about what that's about yeah. as well so um a few years ago I read about this Svalbard. <laughs> I could have butchered that, but it's um, called the Svalbard Global Seed Vault. And another name for it is the Doomsday Shelter. And it's located on an archipelago of Norway, I believe. And what it is, it's quite, if you Google it, it looks quite otherworldly and extraterrestrial. And it's this um, place where many different countries have put together different varieties of seeds um, and I believe there's almost a million, I think there's 930,000 varieties of seeds that could have increased by now Um, but all of these seeds are crop seeds so essentially it's called the doomsday shelter because it is anticipating the, the depletion of humanity's food sources so in freezing it in the Arctic they're saving the biodiversity and the food that's available to us if climate change were to come as expected and take away all our means of food. Um, So yeah, it is quite amazing when you think about it. (laughs) But um, also it made me feel quite frustrated because I was just thinking they're going through all of this trouble, the people like it's there's scientists and governments involved in this and Um, they're going through all of this trouble to save um, what we've developed over centuries in terms of agricultural uh, biodiversity. But why aren't we taking the steps necessary to prevent that from happening Um, when I do believe we can do that with radical action? But 
yeah, it's just as if we're preparing for the worst. And yeah, when I saw that, it was almost as if we're just accepting something that we have no control over and the result of it is devastating and they're anticipating it to be devastating. So the urgency involved in the action needed is quite clearly demonstrated in this doomsday shelter. <laughs> I think it also says a lot because it's sort of like, not to, like, not to undercut it because I think mm-hmm. obviously in and of itself, it's a wonderful project mm-hmm. and a way of dealing with the problem. And, you know, it's a proactive approach in a lot of regards. Definitely. But I also do feel like, particularly when it comes to government involvement, because we all, we, we've all experienced, I'm sure, the frustration around the glacial, mm-hmm. excuse the pun, <laughs> rate at which, you know, conversations about the environment happen in parliament and in politics and things mm-hmm. like that. And it kind of seems... Like, it's very easy for government to be like, oh, yeah, we'll, you know, send some seeds and some money and some scientists out to this thing Mm -hmm. in the Arctic so that when everything goes to absolute Mm -hmm. crap, we can, you know, call them and get some seeds and plant them and Mm -hmm. have food for our people, which is obviously like, you know, yes, good, we want food. not saying (laughs) don't do that. But when it's then not coupled with, okay, so we're going to do this and invest in this project, which is for when everything absolutely goes terrible. Mm okay, so do something for now as well. Like, you know, how do we stop the terrible thing happening? Like, you can't just be Mm post-fact. And post-fact stuff is great. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, prepare for the worst, expect the best should be a mindset that I think is carried through in a lot of areas. But there doesn't doesn't seem to be a lot of other preparation happening to stop the worst. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, this disconnection with nature that we've mentioned previously in this conversation is a big element Um, in that because um, there are so many important benefits that we gain from nature right now in the now. So for example, um, I know there was a study done in Edinburgh where they, they, they monitored the brain activity of different individuals and they put them in urban environments and then they put them in green spaces and the people who went from urban environment to urban environment had a similar sort of chaotic brain activity going on. And the people who were placed in the green spaces first and then put in the urban environment um, seemed to have a buffer and the brain activity um, showed a more showed calmness and it was less chaotic. So yeah, the natural environments definitely have an impact on us and they can benefit us right now. So I feel like that shows why we need to be championing for the Earth right now rather than planning for the demise of our planet into the future. Yeah, I think it's very, like... It's a very necessary way to approach this topic. Like There has to be a sense of urgency mm-hmm. in it and mm-hmm. a sense of, like, nowness. Yeah. Um, Further to the idea of, like, the disconnect in nature, a concept which, like, really stuck with me, and I think this goes to, like, what you were saying before, like, find the personal connection, right? Like, find the individual mm-hmm. link. Um, so I did gender studies for my undergraduate. Mm-hmm. I'm a very big feminist. Mm-hmm. I love to talk about this kind of stuff, obviously. Don't we know it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big part of my life. Like, it's a big part of who I am and, like, what people in my social groups know me for as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that really 
got me emotional and mm. like got me like mm. irritated about the way which we as a society treat nature was environmental feminism mm-hmm. which operates in a number of different ways like obviously around the fact that like women especially um first nations people mm-hmm. and w- women in particular are like disproportionately impacted by mm-hmm. climate change in mm-hmm. such a myriad of ways mm-hmm. um but also the concept within environmental feminism that goes into the way in which society loves binaries and we have male and female, mm-hmm. which we know is no longer mm-hmm. a valid f- form of, you know, mm-hmm. segregation. We have, mm-hmm. you know, the built and the natural and mm-hmm. all of these things. And yeah. they created this recognition of the connection between nature and woman and mm-hmm. man and built mm-hmm. and the way in which women have traditionally been um, put down in society and mistreated in society is connected to their connection and their closer relationship with nature as the more natural human Mm -hmm. in the fact that we Mm -hmm. give birth and we are the source of life Mm -hmm. much in the way that the earth is and it's part of why it's called mother earth not father earth (laughs) you know it's mother earth because the mother rebirths and the mother regrows Mm -hmm. and the mother is connected to community Mm -hmm. and sense of individual person whereas the man has traditionally, you know, in the archetypes and the stereotypes, been the hunter and the gatherer. Mm-hmm. And although there can be great respect and great care for nature in those activities, it is more destructive and it is mm-hmm. more to take something from it for their own benefit. Um, and when I got told this, and like, you know, look, it was, you know, talking about it in a binary sense, obviously, but like hearing that connection and then starting to talk about the way in which we discuss climate action and the mm-hmm. way that we come to these conversations mm-hmm. and how they're seen as like wishy-washy and they're not taken seriously mm-hmm. and they're too emotional and you're being hyperbolic mm-hmm. and it's all these insults yeah. that we throw at women yeah. and they're thrown at the conversation around the environment mm-hmm. and then when you look at the fact that women and the environment can actually be quite analogous yeah. for one and the same, yeah. that's something for me that really helped hit home about mm-hmm. why... I care so deeply about the environment because yeah, yeah. I see it as a natural reflection of yeah, womanhood. Yeah. And that's like really impactful. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just like, it's just an interesting thought mm-hmm. process. Yeah. No, I definitely love that you've said that. And I think that what the earth needs right now is this um, supposedly feminine touch of nurturing rather than um, building and using and, um, what you described as um, the more male archetype. archetype. I think it goes to the superiority thing as well, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, because mm-hmm. we, we obviously have a patriarchal mm-hmm. hierarchy mm-hmm. in the world yeah. and that's that superiority thing again of mm-hmm. that there is some, that, that any one gender or mm-hmm. any gender identity can mm-hmm. be superior is a false narrative mm-hmm. that our entire system yeah. supports. Yeah. And mm-hmm. much in the same way, this false narrative that yeah. we, that humans are superior, like mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. it's this like grandiose mm-hmm. headspace that doesn't yeah. actually play out in real mm-hmm. life. Yeah, I think um, the community, the community values that you spoke of that um, women of often engender. Um, yeah, it it makes me think of when I visited. Um, farmers markets and um, sort of community gardens where all it is is a group of people nurturing that area of space and then they bring their produce 
to that space in a very loving and caring way and it's a it's a sharing environment um which i think also speaks to womanhood because when groups of groups of women get together and females that female energy is one of sharing and caring and um what we bring to the table even in women's business is um where I was going with that it's a certain level of vulnerability right mm. and a certain level of care that kind of yeah. goes beyond mm-hmm. it's a stepping outside of yourself mm-hmm. I think is what yeah. often happens yeah. like I feel that with a lot of my like femme friends that mm. I feel more known because people are willing to step beyond their experience mm-hmm. and try and see yours for what it is mm-hmm. and sometimes more masculine environments don't enable that because it's that is your experience and this is my mm-hmm. experience and mm-hmm. there's like a divide there mm-hmm. and yeah that kind of like the ability to step beyond ourselves mm-hmm. is maybe needed in yeah. the conversation about the environment yeah i think acknowledging this shared reality that we're all experiencing is very important and something that is definitely not happening um and that's happening um to the detriment of the planet i suppose and um yeah this the idea of community in all of this i think is also so important yeah it's recognizing the fact that it matters and it helps like i definitely felt it during covid mm-hmm. i moved to the area in which i live now mm-hmm. pre covid but throughout the covid experience yeah the natural environments like saved my sanity mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. my hour and a half long walks mm-hmm. when we were allowed them <laughs> were you know the best bit of yeah. my day and in it, I met my community without meeting them because mm-hmm. you see the same families walking around mm. the same park and you see the same old people with their little yeah. dogs and it's very cute. Yeah. But it makes you care. Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. And it's again, it's an emotional thing. It's a connection. It's a mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. of community. It's a feeling yeah. of wanting to help. And, like, they all mm-hmm. – those yeah. emotions have to mm-hmm. be recognised for the part they play. Yeah. So as we get through this topic, we've obviously talked about a lot of things that people don't understand about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. environmentalism mm-hmm. and like maybe what the emotional connection there mm-hmm. can mean but mm-hmm. is there something in particular that you wish people understood mm-hmm. or like realized more about mm-hmm. this sort of topic mm-hmm. yeah I think in my own journey I've realized that there are specific elements of nature in which I deeply connect with and I would urge people to explore or discover these connections within themselves because obviously it's going to be unique and it's going to be varied um, between anyone, (laughs) across everyone obviously because we're all so different and some people might have an affinity towards watching the sunset at the beach because they've grown up at the beach whereas others might, um, might find immense comfort from being in a field of wheat because that's where their farm has been where their grandparents lived so perhaps finding that connection that you might have lost over the years um, and sort of rekindling that I believe would be just beneficial and it would sort of maybe open up opportunities for you to think wow actually maybe in this area I can have more sustainable practices and you don't even have to change everything about your life. There can be one thing that you care about immensely and that's 
where you direct all of your efforts and that's plenty and that's more than enough but there's just um there's just so much beauty out there in nature and by being in the digital era that we are right now I feel like a lot of that is just lost and that's very saddening and um I don't know there's so much there's so much to gain from the world around us yeah even when you're just saying that I've just been thinking about the fact that when I engage more with nature or when I really am you know stopping and smelling the roses when I go on my morning walk instead of you know (laughs) checking my phone and things like that I feel like it leads me to make more environmentally conscious choices Mm -hmm. unconsciously Mm -hmm. you know because you it like reminds you of all the Mm. things you have been told Mm -hmm. and instead of it being this like overwhelming message of do better be better don't use straws don't do this don't do that Mm -hmm. you know it's just you know then when you get to make a choice and there's a choice between you know a more sustainable Mm -hmm. option and a less sustainable Mm -hmm. option you -hmm. find yourself gravitating towards the more sustainable Mm -hmm. option out of just like inner urge Mm. because your headspace is in the environment and Mm. it's in nature and it's in those conscious choices and it can become a lot more natural just by recognizing what it is that makes you happy about the natural world and like cherishing that yeah it definitely doesn't have to be a forced thing um it can just come simply from the heart i think and um that's probably where the most valuable action comes from in the end um is a place where you find connection and you find fulfillment and then um, rather than feeling the pressure to sort of adhere to all of these sustainable practices, you're doing it simply because that's what makes you happier and that's what um, comes easier to you at that moment. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful way to think about it because like we said right at the very beginning, right, it's baby steps. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we would like to walk, you know, walk with giants and make great things happen, but baby steps matter too. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I think that's what we're able to do and that's what's in our capacity at the moment. And um, there are big people out there who can make big moves, but as long as we um, keep doing the little things that we um, want to do and that we are able to do, um, it still has this impact because it still drives the demand for some sort of change, however small, and in the end that accumulates into something much larger and you do see shifts eventually if however big or small or slow or quick it happens. Yeah, I think that's very... I think it's nice to frame it in this sort of more optimistic way. I think Mm -hmm. it's more productive. Mm -hmm. Um, This is obviously a space in which there is, like, kind of information overload, Mm -hmm. but do you have any, like, particular resources Mm -hmm. or, like, activities that people can do after listening to this podcast that maybe you can help them, you know, begin Mm -hmm. their own environmental Mm -hmm. journey? Yeah, I feel like, firstly, changing or shifting the narrative that you tell yourself about environmentalism rather than it being a more pessimistic outlook um, in terms of the world is going to come to an end whether we like it or not, there's nothing we can do about it, there's too much to change. Um, Shifting that to a more optimistic one and and saying that this is an opportunity for innovation and this is an opportunity... um, for a lost 
for rekindling a lost connection to something so beautiful that's just been given to us, essentially. Um, I think that's definitely helpful <laughs> um, and motivating. Um, I would say watching a few documentaries that... Um, that speak to you. There's so many out there. There's ones about the ocean if you particularly like surfing, for example. I know there's a documentary I've watched called the, A Plastic Ocean, I believe, and um, one that spoke to me quite a lot was Before the Flood, which I spoke about earlier. Um, the organisation that I volunteer with, Reducing Our Footprint, <laughs> um, they're great. They, um, yeah, as I said, provide really simple information um even just having a scroll through their instagram shows you some simple tips and swaps which you might not have thought about and yeah if you i don't know i think you can really connect anything that you're passionate about with environmentalism as thea mentioned before there is a whole well um a whole realm of ecofeminism and um, intersectional environmentalism which covers race and environmentalism um, yeah just put in whatever word you want in google and then put environmentalism at the end and I'm sure that you're going to find heaps of resources that speak true to your heart <laughs> yes that's such a great that's a great that's a great really simple step everyone get your phone out and google your favorite activity and the word environmentalism and see what happens yeah um We'll try and leave some links in the Facebook community group as well um, to some of these documentaries and the like. But did you have anything else you'd like to add, Adele, or any final thoughts before we wrap up the show? Um, I would say that I, uh, everyone, I imagine, would definitely have some special place that is a natural environment in which they feel safe and sound, even in your nonna's garden <laughs> vegetable garden and um all I would want to say is just sit there for 10 minutes and see how much it improves your day because I know just sitting with, amongst nature for the shortest amount of time is often what brings me out of um a troubling headspace and yeah if you don't do it often do it more <laughs> yeah as we care for nature we would also let nature care for us I guess. yeah yeah and that as you said, that, that reminds me of this quote um, by an author who re who's written quite a few books on nature and our connection to it, and she wrote that um, we need nature much more than nature needs us. So yeah. I think that's quite beautiful. Yeah, and what a note to end on as well. Um, thank you so much, Adele, for coming in. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me to be on. It's been an honour and a privilege and definitely a challenge. <laughs> it's a learning experience for everybody, but that's what this podcast is all yeah. about. Yeah. Um, for those of you who are new to listening to the show, this is the Get Me Started podcast, a community-driven podcast where the guest episodes feature members of our community who get to talk about the topics that get them started. And the solo episodes are centred around questionnaires which community members answer to guide myself as I delve deep into topics that I just can't stop talking about. 
If you're interested in getting more involved, please chuck us a follow on Instagram at Get Me Started Podcast and also join the Facebook community group called Get Me Started Podcast Community, where you can contribute ideas for topics, you can engage with the questionnaires, as I mentioned before. And if you would like to be part of the show, you can send me a message and we can have a chat because the more the merrier. And I'd love to have each and every one of you behind the mic at some point. So thank you very much for listening and we'll be in your ears shortly.